This episode is brought to you by Yosha J Photography, the incredibly talented Australian-based wedding and portrait photographer. Find her on yoshajphotography.com or at yoshajphotography on Instagram for more info. Link in the episode notes. Hello and welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Sandon. Thanks so much for joining us. In this episode, we interview the entertaining, intelligent and inspirational Rajan Velu. Rajan is an Aussie actor of South Asian background who has persevered in an industry that's extra tough for people of colour to pursue his passion and calling. He's had roles on massive shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Scandal and a really powerful play called Counting and Cracking, which we'll come back to in a future episode. We enjoyed this conversation so much and we hope you do too. So the first time I saw you perform, Rajan, was for a theatre production called Counting and Cracking back in 2019, which told such an important story in such a beautiful way. And I could honestly talk about that for, for hours, right? We're hoping to get some of the people involved in that project on for an episode soon. Um, but I remember reading the bios of all the actors from the booklet after the show. And in the list of your body of work, one of the things it said was that you had a role in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So when I saw that, I went back and I watched that episode and I sent it to all my friends, including Rami, just being yeah. like, hey, how cool is this? So um, I got to say, I'm really excited for this conversation and it's an honour to be sitting across an accomplice of Doug Judy, the Pontiac Bandit. Oh, that is so funny. Nice guy, nice guy. <laughs> yeah, well, jokes aside, thanks um, again, Rajan, for taking the time to join us on our podcast. To start off, could you tell us a bit about your background? Yep. Um, so I've got a, a very interesting background. So uh, my parents are both from India. My ma- my dad's Tamil. He's from Uti, um, and my mom's Malayali, uh, but she grew up in Tamil Nadu. And they moved to Fiji in the 1970s. So I was actually born in Fiji. Uh, I know it's a very interesting take. Um, so I grew up in Fiji along with my, my sister was born in, in Fiji as well because um, my my auntie had moved there and she told my parents, you know, you should come and, uh, you know, spend some time on this island. And so my, my parents decided to move there. Um, and then we moved to Australia. So because of that, I, I mean, I, I speak Tamil because my, my parents speak Tamil, but I also mm-hmm. picked up Hindi because I grew up in Fiji. So I picked up cool. Hindi right. from there. So I'm able to speak Tamil, Hindi and English, obviously. Um, it was a good life. Uh, it was, it was, great growing up there but it's interesting there's always you know it's almost like in my life I've always been a bit of an outsider it almost feels because even in Fiji I I had this one language that was different from what all the other kids were speaking because in Fiji there's there's generations of Indians but I'm blessed that I had that that upbringing you know I wouldn't have it any other way a lot of the people we've had so far on the podcast have had that same thing of kind of being brought up in two different worlds so the joke that we keep recycling is just being like, oh, like, would you say that you're stuck in between? But I'm going <laughs> to refrain from doing that here. Oh, I wonder what that's a reference to. <laughs> no, it's really good, though. It's a great title for the for the podcast, Stuck in Between, because that's what happens most times. I mean, that's the brown experience in, a, in the Western world is stuck in mm. between. Yeah. So I guess that's what our you know next question was really going to be about with your experience growing up. Um, as a brown person or person of colour, ethnic person in the Western world, um, 
did you feel like you belonged? Did you find that you stuck out or were not like everybody else, especially given that, you know, you were brought up in, I guess, a, a generation above Sandin and I, um, where maybe it wasn't as multicultural as it is now? Fair enough. You know, make me seem old by just no. saying that. Thank you. You know, a generation I above. I said one generation. <laughs> uh, no, you know what? It, it was because it, it was the early 90s. And look, I went to Penrith High School. And oh, right. Yes. And there were probably about eight brown kids in the whole school. And I was one of them. And it was, uh, it was really, it was tricky fitting in because... Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're self-conscious, you're trying to make new friends and you, you're learning the new lingo and there aren't yeah. many people that look like you. Uh, I mean, it was a very different time in the 90s, you know, just in terms of the, the number of, you know, brown people you would see uh, mm. or just people of color in general. Mm. And then you have to deal with, you know, there's always going to be the racist at school that's going to say something, you know, but I had a... I had really good friends that, you know, would look out for me and things like that. But, you know, that's one of the challenges of, you know, coming to a new new country and a country where, you know, people don't look like you. Uh, you sort of have to find a way to fit in. And comedy was my way of fitting in. Right. You know, if, if I could be the funny guy, yeah. I'll make more friends. So, I, you know, most times I'd end up being the clown or, you know, doing impersonations, this, that and the other. That was sort of my in into you know, being, being liked or, or, or making friends. So that was sort of my, my strategy. Um, and I guess that maybe sparked your yeah. career in entertainment as well, right? Well, you know what it, that is pretty much what did it. Uh, mm. But I had no thoughts of becoming an actor of, of, of going down the path of performing arts when I was in high school. I mean, I did physics, I did chemistry, you know, all that stuff. You did business studies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was going to go on and, and do sort of something conventional. I did a business degree, accounting and finance. Uh, actually ended up doing a cadetship with Deloitte. So you did go down a, a more conventional career path. Um, what then made you take the leap into acting? Well, that's, the, you know, it's, it's very interesting that that, uh, you know, that kind of thing happened. Because if you speak to anyone in my high school, when they find out now, they hear about the fact that you know, I've become an actor. It's a real shock to them because mm. it doesn't. It was like, wow, how did he end up there? But then they go, I can see mm. how that would have happened, but it didn't. It, it wasn't in any of the conversations. So, uh, it, you know, since I was young, I've always been a bit of a performer. You know, mm. just you know, impersonating, telling jokes. You know, uh, that was sort of my my thing. And while I was studying at university and working at Deloitte. Um, I, I loved Eddie Murphy, right? And I would do impersonations, you know, all these old films. I would do that at Friday night drinks. And, you know, I'm, I'm this guy out of high school, one of the cadets, hanging out with managers and partners and stuff like that. And I would start doing my little impersonation, you know, do my impersonations to entertain everyone. Um, and one of, one of my fellow cadets turned to me one day and said, Rajan, you should become an actor. And it's interesting that that one little, uh, you know, sentence that, that she said to me, just, it just clicked in my head. I was like, yeah, why don't I become an actor? Like, why not? That wow. sounds like a That's great awesome. idea. And I actually, in one of my <laughs> performance 
uh, reviews at Deloitte as an accountant, right? My manager asked me, do you have other interests? You know, you know, I have to write down here that, you know, you're working towards, you know, some sort of hobby. And I said, oh, I'm really interested in acting. He goes, okay, good. Let's, let's do some action points about this. Um, you know, maybe you should go and find a class and get into it. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that, that's great. And I took his advice. I went, I, I called around. I found this little, this little acting class that was happening in Bochum Hills. Uh, it was called the Sydney Talent Company, which I think still exists. It was a, a talent agency where you'd go and you'd do classes with them and they would represent you as well. So that was my sort of my first entry into acting. And I had this grand plan. I was like, um, you know, I'm going to finish uh, university. And once I've done that, I'm just going to pack my bags and go to the States, not realizing mm-hmm. you need a visa or anything. I was like, and someone was like, are you going to do any study? I'm like, nah, nah, I think, I think I'll be okay. I'll be fine. I'm just going to go to the States. But obviously that's not how it, it, it ended up. I ended up doing a bit of stu- study. So, uh, so I did accounting and finance. And then I also did my chartered accountancy. No way. Wow. So, I, so I'm a CA as well. And halfway I was halfway through my CA and I, I'd, I'd already known that, I mean, I already knew at that time that I wanted to be an actor. Uh, so I auditioned for drama school. And so the name of the drama school I went to is, is uh, called Actors Centre Australia. Um, uh, so it's uh, so I auditioned for that school just for fun. I was like, mm-hmm. I've never auditioned for anything in my life. I don't even know how to do an audition. I'm going to audition for practice. Uh, there's no way they're going to accept me. I'm, you know, I'm not, a, I'm a non-actor. And, uh, but it so happened that I got accepted and I hadn't even told my parents that I was, I was auditioning for, for drama school. Uh, and I was halfway through my, my childhood accountancy exams. Um, and my, my folks were in Queensland at the time. So I had to call them up and kind of break the news oh, no. to them. Over the phone as well. Because <laughs> so, yeah. they, they knew I was doing like a few acting classes here and there. And then mm. I, you know, I told them and I said, oh, you know how I said that, you know, I wanted to audition for certain courses. And I said, well, I got in. And the first question was like, but you're going to finish your chartered accountancy, right? And I said, yes, I will. Uh, and so I did finish my remaining two modules of my CA while I was in drama school, which was very difficult to do, but I did it. Uh, I guess a couple of friends told me, do not defer your CA because if you do, you will never finish it. Mm. You'll study acting and there's no way you're going to come back and study accounting. So do Mm. it at the same time. And I'm, I'm thankful I did that. Um, so when you, when you call up your parents and say, Hey, I'm going to do, um, acting school and I'm actually going to leave behind my career in accounting to pursue acting as a career. What was their reaction? Well, here's the thing. My parents are pretty amazing. Like, um, growing up, they were very, um, for them, what was really important is you have to study, but you have to balance that out with extracurricular activities. They're like, you have to have balance. I played tennis. I did swimming. I did Bharatanatyam as well. So my parents were always, you, you know, you can't always be studying. You have to have a balance, right? Mm-hmm. So when I called them and I told them that I've, you know, I've gotten into acting, they were like, no, that's fine. You should, you should give that a try, but make sure you finish your chartered accountancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the thing that they missed was they thought that this was just going to be a fad. And 20 years later, I am still doing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, look, 
uh, you know, I've got to say my, my parents are very supportive. They've never said, they've never put their foot down and, and, and said, look, you need to stop this right now, this, that, and the other. They always worry about me. They're like, you know, if, if you had continued with accounting, you would have A, B, and C, you know, mm. you're struggling. You know, there's, it's a struggle. Being an artist is a, is a, is a struggle. Uh, I mean, I still, I'm still a member of the, the, the Chartered Institute and I still do some accounting work on the side. So I, because right. I have to yeah. I have to pay the bills. The accounting work uh, for Doug Judy, right? That's it. That's yeah. it. <laughs> um, so I know you said your parents were quite supportive, which is awesome because I feel like not everyone would have had that um, yeah. because, you know, as South Asian people, we tend to follow, you know, certain prescribed career paths. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the reaction from other people in your life regarding your career choice? Look, my grandmother laughed so hard when I told her because I mean, I'm, she's, you know, I'm speaking to her on the phone in Tamil and then I tell her what I'm doing. She laughed and she's like, what is that? That's not even a job. What are you going No, what are you actually going to do? And it was just, and she, she was only concerned with you need to get a good job and get married, you know, the mm-hmm. usual thing. Um, if people had some thoughts about, you know, what's this fellow doing, they didn't express it openly. Like no one was negative towards it and saying, you know, this is a bit silly. Why are you doing this? So I'm, I'm fortunate in that way that that didn't happen. Like when I, when I was starting off, um, look now, now that it's been quite a few years, I get a lot of it. It's like, okay, what's the plan? Uh... What's happening? How many years are you going to give yourself? You know, what's you know your what answer I mean? to those questions? My answer to those questions is, I'm an artist. This is not something I I, I give up. Like this is my yeah. life. Yeah, this is what I'm right. going to do. There is no timeline. I set goals and I and I and I work towards those goals. But I'm not going to wake up. No, no. Actually, I said, you know, if I wake up one morning, I think I don't want to do this anymore. You know, if that if that if that moment ever happens. But you know, I just I, I try to balance everything out, and I'm like you know, I'm in this, I'm a storyteller and I'm a storyteller for life. This is my, mm. this feels like my purpose. I love that. Uh, because, you know, a guy that did physics, chemistry and all of this stuff had no, didn't do drama in high school. Like I'd never been on a stage, like I'd, I'd been on a stage dancing, but I hadn't been on a stage like doing a monologue or, or acting opposite mm. someone till, you know, I was in my early twenties and I was like, this is, I mean, I, I, I love it so much. It, yeah. it it excites me to to go on a on a set or, or step on a stage and this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and you know I try to manage people's expectations sometimes I'll you know I get into argument and you know I, I always tell my mom because she worries a lot and I always tell my mom I said I said mom I'm crazy but I'm not stupid right I'm crazy but I'm not stupid I will figure out a way to make sure that I can pay my bills look after my family, pay the mortgage, you know, mm. so you don't have to yeah. worry about that. So crazy, but not stupid. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And just watching you talking about it. I mean, we've got you, you on video camera. Yeah. We can see how passionate you are about your craft. It's just amazing. Um, as someone of an ethnic background or a person of color, did you find it difficult to break into acting? Oh yeah. I mean, look, when I went to drama school, when I got accepted, you know, I think there were probably three other brown actors in Australia who, who, who had you know studied acting and were were doing doing some acting at that time. And 
you know, when I graduated from, from drama school, we have a showcase at the end of the graduation year, right? Mm-hmm. They come and see your performance and they decide if they're going to represent you. And no one contacted me after my showcase, right? Uh, a lot of other actors, a lot of my friends got offers here, there, everywhere. Um, so I, I, you know, I had the list of all the agents. I went and sat down in Hyde Park and I called every single agency. Pretty much in five minutes, I was done because pretty much everyone said no. And, you know, and I sat there in the park and I go, that's cool. I know that I have to work twice as hard as anyone else. That's that's fine. And then, you know, part of me is like, I get it. Why would you want to represent someone that you can't get work for? <laughs> you know, mm. there's really limited work. Um, and then there was a little agency that 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 I that I took a meeting with and I had a chat. They said, yeah, we'll sign you if you want. Um, and then I was moping around uh, drama school because we still had another show to go. And a really good teacher of mine, he became a mentor to me. He, one day he just came up to me and he said, would you stop moping around? Okay, it's, everything's going to work out. Just go out and do your best because we had a show coming up. He goes, I'm going to talk to my agent. I'm going to get her to come and see the show. You just be you and we'll see what happens. And it so happened that that agent liked me. And her name was Penny Williams. And Penny Williams at the time had Hugh Jackman on her books. Wow. wow. So she took me on. She took a chance on me. And, uh, you know, I was happy to be represented. But here's the thing. When I started acting, <laughs> I'd get one audition every two months. Mm. Right? At the moment, I get two or three auditions a week. Wow. That's awesome. And that is, that is the change in the last 10, 15 years. Um mm. Look, I got some gigs back in the day. I did All Saints. I did, uh, there, was a, there was a great show called The Last Highway that was part of the Sydney Festival. Um, I did a play at the Opera House, like, you know, bits and pieces here and there. And, and then I decided I need to go to the States, mm. right? I was like, there's no work here. I need to go to the States. So when you did go over to the States, and I, I think you said that you're getting more roles now, but early on in your career, do you feel like you were kind of typecast into the typical like service station owner, the IT guy, the token brown friend uh, sort of roles? The doctor roles. You you won't believe how many doctor roles I've I've auditioned for, and I still audition for doctor roles. But now some of these roles are are, are different than what they used to be. Um, so the good thing about the the states was that there were quite a few years ahead of where Australia was, mm. right? So in Australia, obviously, it was like I played a cardiologist on All Saints, which is great. But then, of course, there was service station guy, you know, this sort of guy. I mean, I remember years ago I did a NIDA short course. And I remember the instructor there was thinking, you know, when I asked him, you know, what are my prospects? And he was, you know, seriously, he was like, it's, you know, it's going to be, it's, you know, it's tricky. You know, cause, he goes, yeah, you know, there are a few terrorist roles, you know, coming up. <laughs> Like wow. this is, I mean, I'm, I'm being serious. Like this is the stuff that, that, that's all that the prospect of being cast as a terrorist maybe was there or some sort of thug, uh, but, but nothing else. Um, yeah. Moving to the States was great because all of a sudden things have changed obviously in the States as well, because yeah, you know, brown people will be cast as the IT guy, this, that, and the other. And now brown people are the leads in TV shows and in films, yeah. you know, it's, it's really changing. It's happening. And, uh, you know, it's like representation matters. And, and people people are realizing, oh, yeah, we've got a different demographic. 
people are going to watch this if we diversify you know we, we, we tell diverse stories uh, it'll it'll work out and so the states was was really good for me because first for experience and then getting the credits that I got you know working there and working with some wonderful people and and making some really good good contacts um because I'd, I'd never see diverse casting at, at you know in Australia you know period back in you know the the, the early 2000s yeah. I feel like even now we see that where a lot of the the diversity comes from shows out of the UK or the US and <laughs> less in Australia um with you growing up I guess you know in the 90s um in Australia what was your experience like not seeing anybody like you that was on the screen because it was very different for Sandin and I yeah we did see people I mean still not a lot though right like all I can really think of is Lily Singh the YouTuber um (laughs) and Dev Patel Patel, because of Slumdog Millionaire like yeah yeah. for me a big one was MIA yeah because for a Tamil girl to break into the western music scene and she wasn't like a typical hip-hop artist or you're like typical pop star right yeah, yeah. Um, she had her own unique style, yeah. her own unique sound. So f- to see, like, you know, one of us performing at the Grammys with hip hop royalty, you know, Jay Z, Kanye, Ti, Wayne, I, th- I think that was the one for me that I was just like, stuff like this is possible. Yeah, yeah. Look, there was no one, and and what? Who who did I turn to? I mean, it's interesting. One of my my dad's friends said, "Oh, you know, you can be like Omar Sharif." It's an incredible Egyptian actor who was in Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Shivago. He's just, he, he was one of these actors of color that broke through. He got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for, for Lawrence of Arabia. You should, I mean, I look, I'll, I'll probably send you guys a list of some, some films to watch. Please do, uh, please do. But Omar Sharif, he was, he, he was pretty groundbreaking. And so, so that was one person. And then I looked at Ben Kingsley right mm. who played gandhi and he's a terrific actor so he's half south asian right his real name is krishna banji right yeah. and when i heard that i was like oh good there's another person but then you know what ends up happening is you look at sydney poitier you look at denzel washington because that's the other you know other people of color that that's made mm, yeah. do you know what i mean so you know, I was a huge Sydney Poitier fan and, 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 and a huge Denzel fan. And I said, like, if these guys can do it, then why can't, you know, someone's got to, just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean no one should do it. You know, if it hasn't been done, that's an opportunity for someone to maybe try and pave the way, you know, because it's never going to happen if you don't, if you if you just, you know, say, oh, there's no one that looks like me, so I can't do yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, when I decided that that's what I was gonna do, that was it. Because in you know in Australian television there wasn't any representation, like any of the TV shows, uh, commercials. <laughs> commercials have only changed recent mm. in terms of uh, who who they're targeting. It, it, you know, I hate to say it, but it was it was it was all Caucasian, right? Mm. All, all the casting was Caucasian, and and you'd you'd hardly ever see, you know, there was a few few performers of color. Um, on stage in Sydney, you know, there were, you know, very few in terms of, you know, grabbing someone and so many negative stereotypes of yeah. of South Asian people. Like, you got to talk like this all the time. Hello. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, what is that? I think that's the um, real importance of representation, right? Because exactly. if you're not represented in a fair way, you're being selected with the stories and perspectives that everyone else is absorbing, right? So people are going to develop biases, 
or they're going to look at certain people or perceive the world and certain people a certain way. Um, so we're training people to think in a way that's probably not fair. And yeah. on the flip side, yeah. when we do see representation, um, either directly or indirectly, it's going to kind of break the ceilings. For example, I've got younger cousins who are going to grow up in a world where it's possible for someone who looks like them, who's a brown woman, to be the president of the United States, right? Right on. Exactly. Yeah, like exactly growing it. up, even for us, that wasn't a thought. No, no not at no. all. Yeah, it's not just media in terms of TV shows and movies. It's also where else is there representation? Everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah in, exactly. In academia, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. You know, it's like, it's like it's society in general taking people of color seriously to put them in positions where they're visible. You know, they're having huge responsibilities. They're visible to, to, to society as a whole. And, you know, that, that speaks volumes, you know, it, it really, like, I'm excited for, I'm excited for the new generation that's coming through. They'll never know a world where, you know, there wasn't any representation. They'd have to go back and, and look at old stuff and yeah. go, oh, wow, yeah. there was, there was, uh, so it, I think that kind of starts them. with people like you, who's, mm. who broke the ice yeah. and paved the, the way and for, yeah. for others to look at you and say, hey, this guy has started what now we can kind of take the baton and run with. Well, you know, I hope that's the case. You know, you guys hit the nail on the head. Because um, I always, you know, I have nieces and nephews and, you know, I have younger cousins and now I have kids. And I go, if I can inspire someone in their life, like for them to say, you know, he went for what he believed in. He, he yes. followed his mm. dream. So it's possible. Uh, you know, if I can inspire someone in whatever they want to do, if they, if they want to be a sports person, if they want to be, a, you know, do whatever they want to do in their life. If they can say, you know, Rajan did that and, mm. you know, it was a tough journey, but he got there or whatever it is, or even, even the journey itself, he was like, yeah. you know, just the commitment to that is if that inspires, if that inspires someone, then, then my work is done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we live to tell stories. And if, if while we do that, we, we can inspire the next generation. Look, I'm excited about the next generation. There's yeah. so many yeah. like and South Asian artists. Yeah, speaking of, like we've already seen, I guess, for people younger than Sandin and I, kind of the generation below, mm. so many TV shows even now, like Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever. Made by Mindy Kaling and the main girl is, you know, a, a, a South Asian. And it's yeah. it's awesome to see that because it just – and the, the problem – I mean, I watch the show and everything she goes through is just normal teenager stuff mm. except she is also of South Asian background. So it's putting everyone in the same light. It's like we all go through the same problems. Or That's all human. exactly it. Yeah. And they don't have to explain it and be like, oh, this is a brown show. No, it's not. No. It's a show. It's a show exactly. about yeah. your average teenager. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really it's, good point. And, and so that's, you know, and there's another show called Fresh Off the Boat. So it's an Asian family, I think from Taiwan. I mean, it's hilarious. It's got uh, Constance Wu. And, mm. um, but it's, you know, the doors have been kicked open. Mm. And, and I think it's, it's an exciting time moving forward. Uh, yeah just just as a whole, look there's a long way yet to go but it's happening like it's there's progress so yeah. that's important yeah exactly um speaking of all of this representation do you feel a sense of responsibility to represent your background and your mm. culture in the roles that you choose to play um given how important representation is um and maybe even choosing not to do certain roles because they perpetuate stereotypes or things like that very much so. I mean, I had, 
I had an audition for this uh, for this piece, and I, I looked at the audition script, and I was like, "Oh, this looks really stereotypical. I don't know if I want to do it, mm. right?" And um, but I went for the audition. I, I did the audition, and I got the role. And I was like, "Ah, shit! Okay, I've got the role now." But then a very interesting thing happened. I met with the director and the writer, and really got a feel, because I had only I only had one scene. Mm. I got to look at the whole journey of this character and they, you know, we we spoke about this character being a, a real person and they really mapped it out. They didn't want him to be stereotypical. They wanted him to be a fully developed character. And the show is Diary of an Uber Driver. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a, it's an amazing show. It's on Stan. It's a comedy. It's a six-part six uh, comedy. It was on ABC. It was commissioned by ABC. It's on Stan now, streaming. And episode five is my episode, so to speak. I'm the guest guest role on that that episode. And I did do one thing uh, while we were brainstorming this 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 character. I said I would like him to speak Tamil, right? Mm. Because because he speaks he speaks in an Indian language, like it's scripted that way. They said, you know, either do an audition in Hindi, uh, Punjabi, Tamil, you know, whatever Indian language you know. So I went in and did it in Tamil. And I really pushed for for Tamil because the musicality of the language it's, and yeah. it's it's also my mother tongue, but it's it's not represented much on screen. It just mm. isn't, you know. And I was proud that I was proud that I did that, mm. and yeah. you know, and that's on uh, that's on screen. So I try to, you know, wherever possible, introduce things that maybe people haven't heard about. Yeah, that's amazing, and it's almost rooting yourself within your culture a little bit yeah. more. By doing these, you know, shows and, and movies that yeah. are not actually, you know, they're not Tamil or Bollywood or whatever. They're Western yeah. films, but it's allowing you to to kind of be proud of your heritage and bring that into these Western um, gigs that you're doing, which is amazing. And, and for you to go to the director and say, hey, yeah. this is the flavour I want to bring. I think you're getting perspective, like, that's really authentic yeah. versus, you know, people who aren't from the same background writing the scripts. Yeah. Kind of projecting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so working in the industry as a person of colour, do you face any discrimination? Look, um, I didn't experience discrimination as such, you know, in the workplace. That's always been good. I mean, because it's like, if you're going to cast me, you probably want to treat me well, you know, uh, because or else why are you casting me? Um, I mean, but look, you know, I can, I can say now that in Australia there's less, you know, no one tells me to piss off back to where I came from. I don't hear that as much. I used to hear that a lot when I first came here. Like, it really was a thing. And I don't, I, I, I don't hear it. Uh, and that was one thing refreshing, I, I must add this, that was one thing refreshing about Los Angeles, California, which where I spent 10 years. I really felt like I belonged in that town. Because when someone said, where are you from? And I said, Australia, they were like, right on. That's really cool. They didn't say, no, where are you really from? Mm. You know, yeah. what's what's your nationality? Like, I, I hate when people say, what's your nationality? My nationality? I'm Australian. You mean, what's my background? Yeah. You know, like, and, and no one told me to piss off to where I came from. Mm. It never happened in Los Angeles. and But that's Los Angeles. It's a melting pot. It's not like the rest of America. Just in general, I think that, Australia has become such a, a wonderful melting pot. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah. Um, 
So Rajan, I guess moving on and looking at current times, um, obviously last year wasn't fun with COVID-19. Um, it was a tough year for many of us in different ways, but the arts industry was hit hard in particular. Um, what sorts of impacts did you see um, for the arts industry and were you impacted by it personally as well? Well, a whole bunch of plays got cancelled. Um, but you know what's interesting with COVID and the arts is as always, arts always gets brushed to the sides. It's like it's a non-essential, you know, that's what they call it, non-essential. And it just irks me when, when, when governments the world over never pay any attention to the arts, when the arts is the only thing that keeps a country sane, mm. you know. People talk about, you know, healthcare workers, yeah, they're essential. Of course, they're doctors. You've got the you know, first responders, all of them, yeah. Artists are always overlooked because, but we're the ones looking after you when you're at home. Mm, you know, I yeah. always tell people go a month without reading a book, listening to music, watching anything, and see how you go. Mm. You know, you the mental institutes will be full without art. Um, yeah, and people say, oh, you know, you guys need to work for this and that. Why do we provide arts funding? This, that, and the other. I don't have the figures with me now, but I have the figures of the the amount of money that the arts bring into the community. And what the percentage of the funding is, and the rate of return is incredible. Mm. Like, but, but just because art, you know, sometimes you, it's not tangible. Yeah. It always it's the first thing to get cut. You know, like yeah. artists, theater companies, they have to fight to, you know, to get any sort of, you know, a lifeline. This, that, and the other. Actors couldn't get job. Really, we, 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 I didn't we, know that. We work I on a contract basis. Yeah. So. You, yeah, actors couldn't get JobKeeper because you, you haven't been employed for 12 months. We go from job to job. So no JobKeeper for any of the artists. There you go. You know, wow. then the next option is maybe we can get JobSeeker. You know what I mean? So actors took a big hit. Artists took a big hit, you know, performers, because it, all of a sudden it was gone. I was fortunate because, you know, I have a side gig, so I was able to get JobKeeper through that. But, it, you know... I just, it, it always baffles me. You know, it's an age old thing where the arts always gets kicked to the side, but it is so important for the function yeah. of a society. How, how else are we going to get lens into new worlds or new perspectives yeah. and yeah. kind of you know, even, push the ideas yeah. that we have? Even entertainment and comedy. Yeah, just, and, yeah, just for know. entertainment. Yeah, yeah, just for entertainment. Like people were at home. What were they doing? Exactly. Net, Netflix, yes. Stan, Disney. What is that? That is that mm. is all the work of artists. Like, yeah. come on, you know. And so, I always I always have a major gripe, you know, when people don't understand the function of artists, or they say, oh, you know, artists should stand on their own two feet. They shouldn't be asking the government for funding. I was like, you should see how much money we bring in for the mm. for the economy, mm. you know. Like, um, and but I was fortunate that I actually got some like acting gigs last year. Um, I did a I did a film up in Cairns. Um, and all under COVID protocols. And then I did a couple of uh, guest roles on TV shows and uh, I did a commercial. So all of that's going to come out this year. So I was happy that, you know, that I actually got some acting work when there were so many others that, that got nothing. And, you know, my agent was like, you're one of the lucky few. You're actually working. You know, I never took that for granted. I was quite grateful that, you know, I was able to do that. But, you know, 2020 was a tough year because you make plans and you go, this is the year I'm going to break through. I'm going to mm. do this, that, and the other. And then uh, 
of course there were other plans in the work uh, but yes I think it's you know it's going to take a while for artists as a whole the community to to recover from this because yeah. you know, even now it's it's still tricky and you know trying to get support you 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 always have to get get a government that that understands the value of the arts our uh, recommendation is kind of tied in with this, so we'll come back to this point in a minute. Um, but kind of coming to the close of the episode, um, what advice would you give to someone who wants to pursue a career in the creative arts? Um, I would say that, you know, don't do it if you want to get rich and famous. You really need to love this because it's a tough journey, right? And you have to stick to it. Like it's almost like a war of attrition. And there's this wonderful quote that, you know, someone asked Harrison Ford, like, you know, what, what's the secret to your success? He goes, I never quit. Mm. Right. He was 36 when he got Star Wars. He, he had started acting in his early 20s. He was 36. And he's like, I essentially just outlasted everyone. Everyone else like gave up and I was still standing, you know, and I got my shot. So, you know, you really need to love being an artist. You've got to be able to take rejection. You've got to be able to ride the ups and downs. But throughout all of that, you have to, you know, put this constant and sustained effort to, to get to, to where, wherever it is you're going. And, but most of all, you need to enjoy the journey. Like, mm. the, it, it shouldn't be a chore. You should, you know, if you love telling stories, then this is for you. And you'll tell, you'll tell a story no matter what. You know, you'll find a way, you'll improvise. You, you know, and also my other advice is write your own stuff write your stories write personal stories write short films write a play you know you can do all of that while auditioning for things you know what i mean and if you're a musician keep writing keep putting yourself out there there's there's so many ways you can self self self-release um but that's that's my advice how about for someone who's a person of colour, what mm. advice would you give to them if they wanted to pursue a career in acting? I would say that, you know, now is the best time, right? Because there is so much exposure. There's, there's, more, there's so much more representation out in the world. There's mm. so many shows that, you know, that, that are around, you know, people of colour uh, and successful ones as well. Because here's the thing, in this business, money talks. And if you can show that, you know, a variety, you know, the, these diverse stories are profitable. It's, it's, it's going to get made. I wish I was in my early twenties right now. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, wow, I've got people around me. I've got, you know, I can see like the path has been laid out for me. Right. You know, I will get representation. I will get representation as in like from agents. I'll be able to go for auditions. I don't have to wait a couple of months for auditions. Like things are happening right now. This is where the change is happening now. So I think it's a great time for, for anyone, any South Asian or person of color to, to get into the arts. Um, but having said that, it's still, it's still a slog. So mm. you, you have to love it. And every once in a while, there's a, there's a one in a million, someone who's just, just comes out of drama school or something, boom, they hit the big time, right? Mm. That's like the 0.001%, right? Mm. The other thing I want to say is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. You know, being an artist, that's what it is. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you've got to be in it for the long haul and, and, and you'll, you'll get there. I mean, I'm still on my journey and I have no intentions on, on giving up and um, who knows where it'll go. 
but I just keep at it and keep loving what I'm doing, telling these stories. I feel so <laughs> G'd up right now. I know. I'm going to go home and run amazing. an album. <laughs> <laughs> As we do with all of our episodes, do you have any recommendations for our listeners, Rajan? Read The Alchemist. Yes. Mm. I love the book. I think it's wonderful. If you haven't read it, read it. It really speaks to the artist's journey. I read it before I went to the United States. Um, and I, you know, I reread it a few times. And you know, not to give anything away from in the book, but I think there is something, um, something really powerful about going on a journey and then looking at the world through a different lens, which, which is captured in The Alchemist. And, you know, sometimes the, the thing that you've been searching for your whole life might just be in front of you. Who knows, right? So that's why I'll, I, I recommend that book. Um, yeah. Rami knows I'm always like, why am I here? What's my purpose? What am I doing? How can I leave a footprint? Um, and that when I read that book... It kind of gave me peace of mind while also igniting a fire to kind of figure it out. Yeah, you know, there's this is movie called The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise and um, Ken Watanabe. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, Ken Watanabe's character says, "Do you believe a man can change his destiny?" And the response is, "I think a man does what he can until his destiny is revealed." So. Mm whatever that is worth we are all on uh you know on this path of what's my purpose what am i doing am i gonna make an impact and i think the best thing we can do is just you know uh, try our hardest and and, you know do the best we can with what we know and as we go along that path hopefully our destiny is revealed to us and then we can take and take it and, and run with it you know i love that yeah, that's, that's such a good quote. Uh, well, to wrap up, Seven and I have a collective recommendation today and it's around what we were talking about just before with how hard the arts industry was hit uh, with COVID and, you know, 2020 and the year it was. Um, so our recommendation is really to go support the arts, go watch a play, go to a concert. I mean, you know, we're in Australia. We're fortunate enough that things are, you know, going back to normal and we're able to do those things. Um, so, yeah, go support the arts. Go watch, you know, locally produced films and things just to support, you know, the local industry as well. So, um, yeah, that, that that would be our recommendation for the week. Yeah, because as we mentioned, without it, would all be so lost. Exactly. No, oh, right on. That's, that's totally, that's what's going to keep us employed. Yeah. Well, Rajan, thanks so much again for your time. Uh, I think no that conversation worries. made me laugh. It made me think. It made yeah. me reflect. Uh, it was a lot of fun and I uh, really appreciate you joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. That was awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks for joining us for this episode. As always, you can find us on Instagram at stuckinbetween underscore podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on Spotify and Apple Podcast and share the episodes with your friends and family who might enjoy it too. We'll catch you on our next episode where we interview Elfresh the Lion, the Aussie Seek rapper. Yeah, I'm going to have a fangirl moment in that episode, <laughs> Romy, so you might need to catch me. I certainly will. See you then. Bye.